Hello and welcome to the Investing on the Go podcast. I'm Juliet Schooling-Latter and today I'm joined by Richard Sennett, manager of the Schroeder Asian Alpha Plus Fund. Richard, thank you for joining me. Thank you very much for having me on. Um, Richard, you were alternate manager on this fund for some years, but recently you've, you've taken it over from Matthew Dobbs when he retired. I was just wondering if you've made any changes. Is, is it strange not having Matthew around? Uh, yeah, um, I mean, Matthew, uh, as you say, uh, announced um, his retirement in, in August last year. And since then, I've taken on his his Asian fund. So uh, at the end of December, I took on the Schroeder Oriental Income Investment Trust. Um, and then at the end of March, the uh, Schroeder Asian Alpha Plus Fund, as well as the Schroeder Asia Pacific Investment Trust. Um, as you say, I've worked very closely with Matthew over the last 13 years or so, um, acted as the alternate on his funds. Um, and um, given that, I suppose it won't be a, too much of a surprise to you that um, that as far as the sort of philosophy and process goes, um, that, that very much will remain the same, which is a sort of very bottom-up fundamental uh, approach. And so I think the thing about the sort of translation Dover to Matthew is, is more about it being um, about continuity rather than, than anything else. Um, to help me, um, Avis Barcorda has joined the team. He came across from the Emerging Markets team where um, he'd been on there for 13 years. I knew him very well from that side of the business. So, so um, uh, he's a real uh, positive addition to, 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 the, to, the, to the team as well. Um, and as far as sort of Matthew goes, what can I say about Matthew? Um, uh, it will be very strange not having him around, both from, uh, I guess, the sort of investment uh, uh, perspective, obviously, but also just from the personal one. Um, I, you know, I mean, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed working with him um, over the years. And he's obviously done a great job managing these funds. Uh, but I think over sort of 40 years, um, he's sort of due a bit of a bit of a break. Um, although I would say that he's uh, staying on as an advisor till the end of the year for the for, to Schroeder. So in that respect, he, he's not quite quite gone yet. Well, that that that's good news. Um, the other funds that you've you've run have an income focus. I, I was wondering how different it is running a, a fund purely for growth. Is there any overlap, or, or are they different universes that you're looking at? Yeah, that, that's a that's a very uh, good question. And um, what I would say is that you know, obviously, I have managed the the Asian income fund since inception. But um, during my time, I, I have also managed or, or been involved with um, uh, growth mandates, so, uh, including the Global Smaller Companies uh, Fund and the Emerging Market Smaller Companies Fund. I've now dropped off those and, and focusing totally on the sort of Asian funds. Um, and as far as the Asian funds go, it's, it's an absolute key question or key key thing is that we don't differentiate between uh, whether a fund in the, in, the, in the sense of a process or philosophy it, it, between income and non-income. We treat them the same way in the types of companies that we're, we're looking for. So we're looking to buy those sort of quality businesses where we can see upside to, to fair value. Um, but uh, and the Asian Alpha Plus Fund obviously um, is to us is indifferent where it gets a return from, whether it actually is all going to be from capital appreciation or whether part of that's also going to be from uh, an income return. So in, in in that sense, you would find if you look through through the portfolio, you would see that there are a number of of income funds. Um, 
in there, uh, sorry, income, what could be deemed income stocks in the portfolio. Um, and I think it sometimes surprises people that if you sort of took the Asian income fund and the Asian Alpha Plus fund and you, and you said how much of Asian income is, um, is made up of stocks that you'd find in Asian Alpha Plus, it would be just over 50%. So, so there is quite a high commonality. And in that sense, um, you know, they're, they're not um, different universes. It's, it is one big universe, in my view. Right. Good to know. Um, and what is your overall outlook for Asia um, at the moment? There's differing sort of outcomes in terms of COVID for, for China and India. Um, but do you think the outlook is, is positive today? Uh, we we are positive, um, definitely on the, the the long term for Asia. In the very short term, obviously valuations have sort of moved up, and they are trading above their their longer term averages um, at, at the moment. But that's almost exactly what you would expect at this point in the cycle, because the market is is clearly expecting a recovery in in earnings to come through, and and that's actually what we're seeing. If you look at consensus earnings today. Um, they have been it has been in a, a, a revision up uh, 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 part of the the cycle, if you like, and and now if you look at consensus, it's roughly at about twenty five percent earnings growth um, coming across for for, for this year. Um, However, what I think is important is that you look sort of beneath, if you like, the aggregate total valuation for the market and you say, you know, what are valuations across different sectors, across different industries? Uh, And there, what you actually find is that there's a very large spread of valuations. Um, So, at one end, you get some things which are uh, very expensive. Um, they're you know quite frothy. So some of the stocks in relation to some of the more thematic areas of the market, like EV, biotech, uh, look look pretty fully valued. But in other areas where the sort of um, we're just starting to see benefit from the sort of broadening out in earnings, um, such as some of the financials, for instance, um, and some of the more economically sensitive uh, sectors have. have um, Look relatively attractive from a valuation perspective, um, and indeed, you know, from the, give you an example, sort of, you know, towards the end of last year, beginning of this, we were adding into our, our bank's position um, in sort of Southeast Asia. We felt that there was opportunities there because they'd obviously been hit very hard from sort of falling interest rates and rising uh, credit costs due to sort of slowdown in economy and, and the impact of COVID. And as they sort of wear off, we think that the sort of earnings growth can come back and on that basis look um, relatively uh, attractive. And I think that's one of the things which is great as an active fund manager that you can do is that you can uh, get to, 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 to sort of, if you like, take advantage of some of those sort of valuation discrepancies. Um, you mentioned sort of, you know, the differences a bit between North and Asia and the rest. And um, it's definitely right that North Asian economies, so the likes of sort of China, Korea, Taiwan, have um, done better uh, than the rest of Asia over the last year or so. And and that has come from um, that has really come from two areas. I think in part is that they've managed the crisis much better from a COVID perspective. Uh, But it's also because those 
indices are made up much more of sort of technology names so uh, and some of the internet platform companies uh, and those of course have been the companies that have sort of benefited if you like from some of the sort of tr acceleration in trends that we've seen um, towards um, towards more use of technology work from home um, e-commerce these sorts of of, of things uh, and and they've done well um, so um, so their valuations do look relatively uh, a bit fuller versus the, the the rest of the region. But as you say, with India, for instance, you know there is an opportunity for um, for a recovery uh, in and a catch up, if you like, in in uh, returns as as recovery comes through. But as as you said, the unfortunate incident with, uh, case of India at the moment, where obviously we've seen a resurgence in um, in COVID, does mean that the visibility of that. Um, Recovery um, isn't 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 totally clear, and so so there is a bit of risk around there. And you should think of it as sort of, you know, we we think of sort of how we're doing with vaccination rates in the UK and so on, which obviously we've been on a global sense uh, uh, very high. It, actually, within Asia, they are still relatively low, and therefore from that from that perspective, you know, you do still have a risk around sort of further outbreaks of, I guess, uh, of COVID as we've seen in India. Um, uh, I suppose one other area which has sort of been in a way slightly unsettling markets from time to time um, has been the rise in in bond yields, uh, which have been coming out in in uh, from the U.S. as interest long long term interest rates have started to to tick up, and um, that has um, uh, at times impacted the markets in Asia because they remember the sort of 2013 when we saw interest rates start to rise, and and during that period we, we went through what was called the sort of at the time the, the sort of the taper tantrum as they were sort of tapering monetary policy. And um, and uh, that unsettled the markets. But since then, uh, actually, Asia um, has continued to, I would say, improve from a sort of an economic standpoint. So, uh, from the perspective of uh, the, their external. Uh, accounts such as the current accounts are in more in surplus, and their ability, they're, they're, in general, they've grown reserves, which more than um, uh, able to to meet their sort of shorter-term external debt um, uh, issues. So, in that sense, I think you know Asia is a bit more resilient than um, perhaps um, it was back in 2013. But 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 overall, I mean, um, historically, when you have seen a global Recovery starting to come through. Um, uh, it has been positive for for, for Asia, um, and that has really been because it's translated into better um, earnings growth than uh, for for Asian corporates, and and that's what we're we're, we're seeing uh, starting to see at the moment now. Thank you. Um, and I, I was wondering what to what extent do you take politics into account in your investment process? Uh, for instance, does the sort of current anti-China sentiment worry you at all? Well, I suppose um, over the last, um, well, basically over the last few years, we've obviously seen a sort of a pickup in sort of tension between the likes of, of US and, and China. Um, obviously, when we Trump was um, in, in the White House, there, there, there was uh, there was quite an escalation with in respect to the sort of trade wars and so on, which obviously um, uh, was uh, unsettling for markets and more for 
investment really than anything else in the sense that people didn't know what was going to happen next. I think the feeling was when the sort of Democrats uh, came in uh, to power uh, um, that actually um, Although the sort of view, if you like, of the US on China was unlikely to change, and you can see that sort of clearly if you look at some of the sort of opinion polls where sort of, you know, Democrats and Republicans sort of have a similar view, um, that it, it was likely to be a bit more sort of, if you like, multilateral in approach, a bit more predictable, and therefore actually a, uh, a bit more um, able to price into markets. And so, from that perspective, um, a bit um, uh, uh, would be a sort of a relative drop in tension. Um, obviously, um, I think this is going to be an issue which is going to drag on uh, over time, as, as you know, as, as obviously China grows. Uh, and becomes more important um, from a from a sort of uh, a, a global perspective. Um, I, I, but what I think it is interesting is that you know, despite their differences, that they can actually work together on you know some of the real big issues out there, uh, and such as we've seen recently on, on climate change. Just to wrap up, Richard, I wondered if you could tell me um, what sectors you're finding the most opportunities in at the moment. Yeah. Um, well, if you look at it from a sort of sectoral perspective, where I've still got um, overweight positions are in sort of information technology, uh, where I can still find a, a lot of sort of world-class um, companies, particularly in, in the sort of semiconductor space, and they include companies in Korea uh, and, and Taiwan. Um, although some of those have run very fast, so I've, I have been sort of at the margin taking a little bit money out of that sector. Uh, the other where, area where I am overweight is in um, is in, in financials. Um, and um, again, uh, that's an area which I, I, I sort of mentioned earlier, I, I think is attractive from a relative valuation uh, perspective. And, and can find some some ideas in and have been adding to that in sort of particularly into some of the sort of Southeast Asian um, Southeast Asian um, um, markets. Um, I guess where I am um, less weighted or uh, underweight from a sectoral perspective has been more in some of the what I'd say the if you like the long uh, those stocks which have been impacted or likely to be impacted more by sort of rises in long bond yields. So some of the long duration sectors like um, utilities, healthcare, uh, staples, where valuations are generally uh, a little bit fuller. Um, and also, I, I, I sort of remain underweight in some of the sort of Chinese um, e-commerce names, which um, have been lagging recently due to sort of increased sort of regulatory scrutiny around around some of their their, their business models. Um, and if you look at that from a sort of geographical perspective, where does that leave me? Um, I'd be overweight in sort of uh, places like um, some of the, actually some of the developed markets like Hong Kong and Singapore. Um, as well as also India, which uh, um, I think there's a, some attractive opportunities still there, and added to that uh, relatively recently, and also um, uh, uh, and remain underweight in in China, where actually um, you know China's sort of in a way dealt with the crisis so well that we're already starting to see uh, a tightening uh, of 
coming through of, of monetary policy is they're sort of just wanting to sort of bring um, back under, bring the sort of growth rates down so that we don't get a sort of repeat of what happened after the global financial crisis where sort of growth got um, accelerated away and they had to tighten quite rapidly. So, so in a sense, that's a, that's a, a, a nice problem to have um, compared with some areas. Richard, thank you for chatting to me today. Not at all. Thank you for having me. If you'd like more information about Schroeder Asian Alpha Plus, please visit fundcaliber.com and don't forget to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast. Please note the views expressed are at the time of recording and could change. And remember, we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these stocks at the time of listening. <laughs>